Welcome back to the show. I'm happy that you guys are here with me again for another episode here on the Millennial Mustard Seed Podcast. We have Derek Gilbert here, guest appearance number two, and this is a great conversation. We get to dive into some interesting topics like the placebo effect and the the pineal gland, you know, talking about the condition of the world. And honestly, we both kind of have a moment in this episode. You know, like three quarters of the way towards the end of the episode, I literally am like, it was hard to explain. It wasn't like deja vu, but I just started having a moment where I felt like I was on the right path and I'm speaking with the right person. And my little brain is just like being crammed full of information. I go into overdrive mode (laughs) and, you know, kind of start stumbling over myself a bit. But then we see the best of Derek Gilbert come out in this because literally we get some humor we get all the facts all all that wealth of information from his uh, diligent studies over all these years and then we get the heart of Derek Gilbert so towards the end of this episode honestly we both are almost choked up and you can just hear it in our voices it's it's an emotional roller coaster it's a very unique conversation great show share this with a friend a family member share it with your pastor please leave me that five-star rating and review to help the show grow i have never asked for donations or support before but i've been having terrible uh, luck (laughs) quote unquote luck with equipment recently it's almost like something in the airways is trying to stop me from creating this kind of content so i have some equipment failures and thank goodness Derek was able to come through and get everything recorded on his end and then send me the audio file but it is not the best quality because of the recording device on my end so please forgive me that it's not up to par with what I believe is good audio quality so with all that being said you guys go to the anchor webpage you can leave me a one-time donation. You can do a monthly donation for as low as $4.99. That really helps me to upgrade my equipment. I'm just a dude who works a full-time job with a wife and a kid. I do this because I believe in what I'm doing. I literally believe in what I'm doing. I don't charge. I don't do ads on the show. I don't sell anybody's information. If you guys sign up, send your emails. Literally, I am hoping for donations in order to progress the equipment and the research and the time that gets spent on the show it's worth it it's a lot of work so if you guys have it in your heart to donate and help me keep this thing going a little bit smoother much appreciated let's get into the topic that you guys all came here for i'm ready let's go guest here on the show and uh this is your second time joining us here on the millennial mustard seed derek gilbert it is a pleasure to be speaking with you <laughs> it's an honor to be back with you rod boy we've we've had a uh, an interesting experience getting this uh, audio to uh, a place where it can be actually be recorded 
Yeah, it, it's almost as if we went through a small battle. <laughs> <laughs> this often happens. We used to find this uh, with uh, the late Rust Istar. Uh, it would it would always be a challenge. There'd be something technical that would uh, interrupt the interview. And we noticed this with Gary Stearman, the host of uh, Prophecy Watchers, whenever he'd come over to uh, Skywatch TV to do any recording. It, it's like Gary would suck the life out of any battery... <laughs> powered device like the uh, little uh broadcast jack packs for the the, the wireless uh, microphones little broadcast transmitters for the wireless microphones yeah. uh they'd be fully charged and within like 15 or 20 minutes they've just totally drained never happened to anyone else just gary stearman for some reason yeah that's um that's bizarre i've noticed like you know we were talking off air just a couple minutes ago there's there's something going on in southeastern pennsylvania here where it's uh doing that exact thing it's just uh, every time i go to podcast or connect with somebody when it comes to prayer the bible literally exposing the works of darkness it really seems to be like the battle manifests through uh, this dark force attacking the equipment or the Wi-Fi, whatever it can. So it's, I find that interesting. There, there are parts of the country where uh, things seem to be more of a battle than, than elsewhere. We're, we're blessed here in the Ozarks in that it seems to be kind of a bubble. But even here, um, the, the tentacles of the gods yeah. of this world, and I use that uh, term G-O-D-S, small g, uh, deliberately. Uh, I, I believe that there... That the, they are reaching into even small town America. I mean, the Ozarks is about as insulated from the the spiritual forces at work on uh, in America's coast. You know, the East and West Coast yeah. el- elites have their own ideas of of how things should work. And here in the Ozarks, we're really insulated from that. I mean, we live in a county. And this was true back in Illinois before we moved here as well, the the county we lived in, in uh, Illinois, Coles County. Um, The Democratic Party, and I'm not saying that Democrats are evil, um, but (laughs) there are policies supported by the Democratic Party at the national level that are are inconsistent with biblical values. They, They don't even put up candidates for most of the political offices in this county or back in Illinois, Coles County. A lot of places in in the middle part of America, that's true. When you look at the uh, electoral map of the last couple of elections and uh, who carried which counties, you see these vast swaths of red for uh, the Republican candidate and uh, just these concentrated areas of blue. It's just that because there are so many more people in those areas, uh, the elections were a lot more uh, competitive than uh, they might otherwise appear on a map. But even here, through things like Title IX, for example, the, the Federal Department of Education is imposing on school districts in places like uh, Galena, Missouri, um, oh, wow. things that you wouldn't expect to find in rural America, where, uh, again, the Democratic Party, which is championing some of these uh, progressive policies, don't even field candidates. And yet, because of the influence of the federal government and the influence of federal agencies like the Department of Education, the Department of Energy, and so on, they're they're imposing values, and especially through the Department of Education, because that's where you get kids. And if you can get kids before they hit the age of 18, you got them pretty much for life. Uh, there, there are friends of ours here in the Ozarks who have pulled their kids out of pu- public schools because yeah. of the, uh, the agendas coming from uh, the federal government. Um, I, I would be okay at this point in my life with saying we need to just do away with the Federal Department of Education. 
<laughs> and it bleeds out into so many other areas right. as well. It, right. It's very interesting. Um, they obviously removed the Bible, you know, from public schools. I think it was 1964, 65. But we know that the, the word says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. And, and there's definitely a difference between knowledge and wisdom. And, and the world is, is, is clear for anybody with eyes to see that they are uh, losing the wisdom at a rate that is hard to describe when it comes to the diversity of topics and, and trails. You know, this, the tentacles of all of these things go into so many areas, it's hard to keep up with, Derek. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's funny because I actually um, spoke with, with one of my local senators recently, and, um, you know, this person was out in the neighborhood and, um, you know, just kind of like, you know, knocking on doors and talking and trying to get reelected and um speaking with um her just for a couple minutes i had mentioned well you know where do you stand on xyz these topics you know i pretty much uh, was very blunt and honest and said hey i fall in the line of what is right is right what is wrong is wrong and i define what's right and wrong by the bible um it's the only book that has exposed how many years i personally wasted sitting in the dark it's it's been my mm-hmm. uh, it's been my only light and uh, it was interesting because after discussing <laughs> some of some of uh, the perspectives that i hold i you could just you can tell you can tell with people that have the agenda that is fueled by the world and the power of the air of the present age that we live in versus the you know the eternal truth and we just see it show, show up in so many places, but I, you know, the last time that we talked, honestly, it was um, you had my head spinning. <laughs> Every time I talk <laughs> with you, I'm like, oh my goodness, like I just information just flowing, and uh, you, you know, I wanted to thank you. You've you've been doing this this podcasting since 2005, and. Mm-hmm. A lot of the groundwork that guys like you and, you know, L.A. and Russ Dizdar, a lot of you guys have laid the and paved the way for um, the next generation to have that, you know, audacity and that platform to kind of, uh, you know, walk into and, and start the journey of just being unashamed for the truth and exposing the darkness and well, you're you're um, very you're very gracious. It's funny because Sharon and I actually began podcasting because we thought it was a way to uh, market the books that we were writing, and it turned <laughs> out that uh, we're looking back on it, it's clear the Lord had to start writing so that we would start podcasting, which led to uh, what we do now, the partnership with Skywatch TV, and uh, yeah. so uh, and now we're back to writing again. So it's sort of come full circle. But um, yeah, it, uh, we we began began writing because we thought it was a way to get people to buy our books. So uh, yeah. the, the Lord took that and, and kind of gently curved it in the direction that he wanted us to go. His ways are not our ways. So he'll bring us, he'll bring us to the desires of our heart when we, we seek the kingdom, right? It's just not mm-hmm. always the path we think is, is uh, the one we're going to take. And, you know, there's, there's a lot going on right now, Derek. I know with a view from the bunker and the Skywatch podcast, you're doing updates all the time and, and covering a lot of these topics. Did you hear the rumor of the Euphrates River drying up? Well, is there any credibility to that? It is low. Uh, there are a lot okay. of places in this world that are, uh, it, it's, it's really bizarre as we're seeing um, major grain producing areas of the world here in the United States, uh, China, yeah. Uh, both dealing with with uh, 
severe weather. Here in the U.S., uh, the western half of the United States is in drought. Here in the Ozarks, we are maybe coming out of drought now because we uh, had a very dry uh, half of June and all of July. But uh, the last couple of weeks here, we've been getting caught up. Texas, of course, was severely hit by drought. Then they got a whole summer's worth of rain in one weekend. The only place on Earth that grows a lot of grain where they've uh, had ideal growing conditions, of course, is uh, Russia and Ukraine. And uh, they've only just started shipping grain because of the uh, war that's been going on there since the end of February. Um, Middle East, of course, very dry. And the Euphrates is uh, uh, at very low levels. But I think if we're going to read, we may be trying too hard to read prophetic significance into that because uh, we we read in Revelation... um, Nine, where you've got the uh, angels bound in the river Euphrates. And if I remember correctly, it's Revelation uh, 15. I'll have to look that up. I should have my Bible open in front of me. Where um, the the kings of the east, uh, the Euphrates dries up so that the kings of the east can come and uh, do battle at Armageddon, essentially. The demonic spirits performing signs, et cetera. Yeah, the uh, sixth angel pours out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. Its water was dried up. There's a lot to get through before we get to uh, the sixth bowl judgment, which is when God is pouring out his wrath on the world. And since we as believers in Jesus Christ are not appointed unto wrath, we're not going to be here when this happens. Mm -hmm. So whether one believes in a pre-tribulation rapture or a pre-wrath rapture, and I, I still struggle to get my head around the difference between the two. I think it's more semantics than anything else, but setting that aside, regardless, pre-trib, pre-wrath, since the bowls are God's wrath, we're not here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we're not here. So Mm -hmm. don't panic. When you see the Euphrates drying up, it is not the sixth bowl judgment. We've got a long way to go before we get there. I mean, we haven't seen Wormwood. We haven't seen the Flaming Mountain hit the sea. There's a lot. The, the bottomless pit opens up. Tartarus empties out, and the Watchers come back. The Titans of Greek religion. There's a lot of stuff between now and then. So, uh, yeah, the Euphrates is... The water level is dropping. In fact, there's a uh, uh, site connected to the ancient Hurrian kingdom of Mitanni, that hmm. is um, that archaeologists finally have access to, uh, and they hadn't been able to get into it for some years. I mean, they knew it was there. It was just underwater. So um, archaeologists are having a field day with that site. There's a site in Spain, likewise, that uh, uh, they're calling it the Spanish um, Stonehenge. Oh, wow. Because water levels have dropped in certain areas. But, um, yeah, uh, just it, it's l- let's not try too hard to read prophetic fulfillment into headlines like this uh put it into context and when you look at the book of revelation there's a long way to go before we get to the sixth bowl there's so much hype on topics and and a lot of the reason why i desire to do this podcast is to get to the information from sources that are deemed healthy from the biblical perspective right i mean there's so much information Mm -hmm. floating around out there a lot of times people get lost in the youtube videos right and you end up on some really strange stuff right right and drawing back to the bible and and to understand what what's really going on in this world so much and and here's the other thing that that i think we need to consider as sharon and i have been digging into revelation and trying to analyze it with the uh the the divine council worldview yeah the, the idea that the small g gods exist which was the the belief of the early church. They understood that uh, Zeus was real and uh, Hermes was real and Aphrodite was real, but they were fallen angels. 
that was the understanding of the Jews of the Second Temple period. It, 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 they knew that what the, the, their neighbors believed, their pagan neighbors, uh, was not entirely false. They were worshiping the wrong gods, but there are reasons that we find in Scripture. For example, one of David's Psalms, when he uh, writes, you know, bow down, you gods, um, because they knew that God, capital G God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, was the supreme deity, the creator who spoke all of the rest of these uh, entities into existence. But that doesn't mean that those entities, contrary to what most of us Christians have been taught, doesn't make them imaginary. These were not the imaginary friends of the Canaanites and Egyptians and, and Amorites and so forth. They actually existed, but they, you know, Paul was clear. He said they're worshiping demons. Okay, yeah. principalities and powers, archons, thrones, dominions. There are a lot of different names he gives them, but it was understood by the apostles, the early church, that these entities were real. So when we're looking at the book of Revelation and we see things like the fall, the, the burning mountain that falls from the sky or wormwood, we were looking at this saying, you know, that that imagery of the burning mountain is one that uh, is not unknown, was not unknown during the Second Temple period. When Enoch, in the book of First Enoch, is taken down to the netherworld, he sees, and I think this is First Enoch 21, seven mountains, burning mountains. And he asks his angelic guide, I believe it's Gabriel in Enoch, uh, who these uh, entities are. Or what these things are. And he says, well, these are angels who are being punished. It's like, oh, okay. So would there be correlation with the stones of fire of Ezekiel 28? You know, the, the rebel in Eden who was cast out of Eden where he walked amongst the stones of fire. Now, I'm not the first one to think of this. This is, you know, Mike Heiser's study as Naked Bible, Naked Bible podcast of Ezekiel 28 pointed that out. And that was like an eye-opening moment for me. But when you go back and you look at Ezekiel, and compare it to First Enoch, it's it's clear that they were kind of drawing from the same um, the same well of ideas, if you will. This idea that burning mountains were not uh, necessarily space rocks, but uh, supernatural beings who kept not their first estate. They left their proper dwelling and came to commingle with humanity, and uh, as such, in First Enoch, they're being punished in the netherworld. So that makes me think when Jesus is saying, um, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast down, it will be so. Go yeah, I, I think you're tracking on the right, uh, the right idea here. It's, it's, uh, it was well known in ancient Mesopotamia that the, the main epithet of the creator god of Mesopotamia, Enlil, who in my book, uh, The Second Coming of Saturn, I, I show the evidence from the secular scholars that Enlil was also Dagon, was also El of the Canaanites, yes, was yes. Baal Haman of the Phoenicians, Kronos of the Greeks, Saturn of the Romans. Uh, you go back in history, he was Kumarbi of the ancient Hurrians, and so on and so on. His main epithet was Great Mountain. His oh temple his temple at the city of Nippur, which is in yeah. the middle of Iraq, his temple was called the Ikur, which means the mountain house or the house of the mountain. Uh, interestingly, the word Kur in Sumerian also meant netherworld. It had a dual meaning. So kind of an as above, so below sort of thing. I mean, it, it, it meant literally mountain and netherworld, the same word. So when you see this, this great mountain is, okay, does it mean great mountain or does it mean great below, the great underworld? Because by the time Marduk uh, took over as the chief god of Babylon and Mesopotamia, which was around the time of um, Saul and David, 
around 1100 mm-hmm. to 1000 BC. That was when the time, about the time that this transition was complete. Enlil was no longer the the one who was in charge of everything because Marduk was now the god. Enlil was demoted to the netherworld, and he became one of the judges in the underworld. Well, interestingly, this was also the case with Cronos, uh, who was overthrown by his son Zeus yeah. and thrown down to the netherworld to the to Tartarus, where he was chained up. Same with uh, Saturn, who was overthrown by Jupiter. Same with in, in the ancient Hurrian religion, Kumarbi was overthrown by his son, the storm god Teshub, and thrown down to the netherworld. Same pattern over and over and over. But again, it was well known that uh, Enlil was the great mountain. In fact, the Assyrians, whose uh, chief deity was named Ashur. Uh, same name of the god as the name of the country. I mean, in, in the Old Testament, when you're referring to Assyria, the same word is used for Assyria, the country, and Asher, their chief deity, who was also called Great Mountain, as was Dagon by the Philistines and the Amorites who worshipped him. And then in Zechariah 4, this is, uh, I think, an interesting verse that's been overlooked by most. Um, this is... Uh, Let's see, the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah 4, beginning at verse 5. The angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my lord. Verse 6. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. All right, we're all familiar with that verse. The Lord of hosts means Yahweh of armies is what it actually means. Verse 7, though, we never read, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. Most Bible teachers, will, if they touch that verse, will say, well, that just is Zerubbabel was in charge of rebuilding the temple and he had a very difficult job. So the great mountain was the obstacle in front of him that he had to overcome. Yeah, kind of. But the Israelites had just come back from 70 years in the middle of Mesopotamia where the chief deity, the creator, the father of all the gods, was called the great mountain. Do you not think they knew who that referred to? And I think to cap this off, in Ezekiel 1, where he has that famous vision of the wheels within wheels that, uh, you yes. know, the ancient aliens guys say that, uh, oh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a UFO. No, that was a throne room vision. Mm. The, the imagery uh, was of a royal throne. When you look at the, the way royal thrones in ancient Mesopotamia were depicted as having wheels on them and uh, living creatures built into the throne... I mean, you can see this in the throne of King Tut. You can look this up on Google. Just, you know, Google King Tut throne. That's what uh, that's what the Mesopotamian concept of the cherubim looked like. Anyway, uh, Ezekiel mentions in the very first verse of his book, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kivar Canal, C-H-E-B-A-R, the Kivar Canal. And he mentions this like five other times in the book of Enoch. The vision I had at the first by the Kivar Canal it's an important detail, which is why he keeps bringing it up. Why is that important? Because the Kivar Canal runs right through the city of Nippur, right past the temple of Enlil, which is where all the gods of Mesopotamia met once a year with the great mountain at the mountain house to decree the fate of the land for the coming year. In other words, Ezekiel's vision of the throne of Yahweh of hosts, the Lord of armies, was right over the temple of the chief god of Mesopotamia, who's called Great Mountain. Wow. And the reason I bring all this up is then we got to look back and say, okay, so maybe the mountain in Mesopotamia, or in, in the book of Revelation, is dealing with entities. Maybe these 
the army coming from the east, the 200 million, the army of 200 million uh, horsemen is a supernatural army. How did they view the, visit, the river Euphrates in the ancient world? Well, it was sort of considered a boundary, a liminal zone between the land of the living and the land of the dead. Yeah. To yeah. A, and to a degree, so was the River Jordan. It was the mountains in Jordan on the east side of the Dead Sea are called the mountains of Avarim, A-B-A-R-I-M, which means travelers. Mountain of the travelers. Travelers happens to be a term used by the pagan Amorites for the spirits of the Rephaim. The dead kings who were of old. In other words, the spirits of the Nephilim. The Bible tells us very clearly, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, mm -hmm. but against principalities, powers, rulers, and dominions. And uh, I think a lot of the time why the world is moving further to dropping off the cliff, <laughs> if I can say it that way, and why Christians are ramping up and, and we're you know, joining together in, in the agreement of who Christ is, his resurrection, and exposing the darkness, is because anybody in the house of the Lord, we can feel the tension. Different areas having different entities over the area, and how there's actually people that can interpret that. They're, you know, they're very sensitive to the landscape. And, and I find this interesting because these concepts that seem so new today um, were not new, as Dr. Michael Heiser's work proves, that the ancient Israelite would have had all of this worldview in their mind where they're just aware of the thrones and dominions and right. the different rulers that are depicted through the Greek mythology, all, all the different cultures around the world that have etched these things in rock. None of that was strange to them. Today, we have Hollywood that entertains the world with, I don't know if I could even say a quarter truth at this point, you know, a really good lie has just enough truth and in, in entertainment to keep you engaged. But what I'm getting at here is we clearly can see some of this information coming back to the body of Christ, some of these chasms being covered where you have the curious mind like me, a millennial who is uh, relentlessly battling and and uh, reaching out to guys like you and saying, hey, man, break this down for me. So not to switch gears here too quick, but it feels like there's been an increase in paranormal activity. The demonic world, we know they are literally working day and night. They don't rest. They don't sleep. Do you think that CERN may have anything to do with escalating the spiritual environment? Do you have any thoughts on CERN? They may be trying, and they, but they're not going to open any portals that God doesn't allow. Absolutely. I agree. So I, I think the, uh, the there are some who, who are, get really, really uh, afraid, really nervous about uh, things like this, and are really concerned about it. Um, not, not to you know, pardon the pun, but I don't <laughs> think we have to worry about anything opening up that God doesn't allow. We see in Revelation 9 that uh, the abyss, the bottomless pit, doesn't open until a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit is given to a, an, a star fallen from heaven. That's an angel who's fallen from heaven. He's given the key. Who gives it to him? He, he doesn't steal it. He doesn't make off with it. God gives it to him because the timing has come for God to allow these entities from the abyss to uh, torment humanity for five months. This isn't like, uh, what was that uh, movie with um, oh, Sam, El not Sam Elliott, Sam, um, oh gosh. Well, anyway, I'm thinking of the movie Event Horizon. Oh, where, okay. Yeah, where uh, this this spaceship goes out and, and uh, finds, you know, an, another craft that was abandoned and it turned out this other craft had been to hell and come back and it brought stuff with it. <laughs> um, that That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. CERN might 
might who who knows they might discover some interesting things they might find uh you know a, a way to uh, in in their minds communicate with entities that are in an, another dimension but Sharon and I are working on a book under the title The Gates of Hell. And we started out thinking, okay, let's write a book about uh, uh, biblical portals. Why why are certain areas in the Bible so significant? Why did Jesus begin his ministry um, in Bashan? Which surprised me. We only really discovered this about six weeks ago. Although, again, it's not something we discovered. Other scholars have put it out there years ago, but it just sort of got... uh, Ignored puzzle pieces together, right? Yeah. Uh, why was Jesus baptized at uh, in John? It's uh, John one twenty eight says Bethany across the Jordan, but the Greek is Bethania, which is probably a transliteration of Batania, mm. which is the Greek name for ancient Bashan. Why did go? Why was John there? Why did Jesus go there? And you know the evidence then is he called his first disciples from like Bethsaida and uh, Capernaum, which is north of the Sea of Galilee. This idea we have that Bethany across the Jordan was somewhere near Jericho is it, it doesn't fit the evidence. It doesn't fit the evidence at all. Um, there is no, and even in the second and third century, early church fathers were looking for, like Origen in the uh, uh, the late second century, I believe, was looking for Bethany across the Jordan. And he said, well, no, no, that can't be right because there is no Bethany um, except for the one on the Mount of Olives. And that's obviously not across the Jordan. That means east of the Jordan River. Yeah. But if Bethania is actually just a transliteration of Batania, in other words, Bashan, well, that fits with calling Philip, Peter, John, Andrew from north of the Sea of Galilee. And mm. when you look at what that region was known for, okay, uh, that was the area that was literally believed by the ancient world to be the entrance to the netherworld. It is covered with dolmens, which are megalithic funerary monuments for the dead. So why are those regions important? But as we started developing the book, we started thinking, you know what? The actual gates of hell, the portals, are really inside each one of us. As we give permission to the enemy to access us and use us, we can't open anything that God doesn't allow. But he gives all of us free will to choose to follow him or to disobey. As Mike Heiser put it in talking about the um, the the Babylon working, mm-hmm. uh, you know, L. Ron Hubbard and uh, uh, and uh, uh, Jack Parsons, creator of the the uh, uh, JPL Jet Propulsion Laboratory, did their their strange sex rite out in the desert to try to bring forth the uh, Scarlet Woman, the uh, you know mystery Babylon. Um, Mike said, you know, if these entities, these principalities and powers that we are warned about are so are, are so limited that they can only access our time-space domain when a couple of perverts have sex in the desert, then they're pretty lame. <laughs> like, oh yeah, okay. But getting guys like Parsons and Hubbard and Aleister Crowley and Helena Blavatsky and whoever else, you know, ceremonial magicians, to do these things is essentially they're demonstrating their willingness, their openness to these entities come live inside me take me over give me power i'm giving you permission those that's the gates of hell right there it's what's inside each one of our hearts somebody like l ron hubbard jack parsons they did not tear a rip in the fabric of our time space continuum to allow something evil through okay cthulhu is not coming back through a rift opened by jack parsons but parsons hubbard 
clearly were influenced by the dark side, these principalities and powers, and their followers likewise. That's Those are the gates of hell. Now, having said that, there was a reason that Jesus chose specifically to begin his mission in Bashan, where uh, a couple of years later, at the foot of Mount Hermon, in front of the Grotto of Pan at Caesarea Philippi, he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Oh, yes, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Ah, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And on this rock, as he's standing in front of a 9,200-foot mountain that was believed to be the, the like the Canaanite version of Mount Olympus, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, which is this really big cave right over here the Jordan River comes out of, will not prevail against it. He could have done that anywhere, de- declared his, his divinity anywhere. Why did he choose to do it there? He clearly had a reason. And then six days later, he climbed a very high mountain with Peter, James, and John for the Transfiguration, Transfiguration. which was, again, Mount Hermon, the Canaanite Olympus. And he chose that place for a specific reason. So, yeah, there are probably places on Earth, and and maybe he was simply making a point to the followers of these deities, because they had been convinced through many long centuries that this place was sacred. I mean, there are texts like the, uh, the old Babylonian text of the Epic of Gilgamesh, which dates back to the time of Abraham, you know, 1,800 years before Jesus was born, they knew that Mount Hermon was sacred, was the secret dwelling of the Anunnaki. So something about that mountain for a long, long time was known to be sacred, and Jesus specifically chose that location for his declaration of divinity and his transfiguration. But uh, at the end of the day, in our world today, where are the gates of hell? Uh, Right between... You know, right in the middle of your chest. It's your heart. Yeah. The term that Dr. Laura brought up on my interview with her, which was a Nephilim host. And I found that to be very peculiar because, you know, people like you're saying, like Jack Parsons or, um, you know, Crowley, the power that they claim to have all this, in my opinion, it's like it spreads the wildfire of confusion where people become enamored with the topic. They waste so much time and energy digging into, you know, failing defeated army's um agenda that you know they're missing out on the life giver and it's <laughs> i had to cover my mouth so i didn't laugh too too hard into the phone here but when you said you know <laughs> when there's a couple perverts that are going out into the desert and they do some ritual to manifest you know, a gateway for some minion or some spirit to walk through it, it's that's very lame yeah it is a defeated kingdom there there's no true power there credit Was mike that- heiser for that line credit mike heiser People are spending so much time wading through the ocean of confusion and chaos, a million messages and a million signals being sent out from all these different camps. You know, they're getting lost in in everything but the life giver. I said this on an episode, I think it was uh, last year. It's funny to me how God has one remedy. He has one way. And he's already, you know, he's already resurrected and, and defeated the enemy. But you see, you know, Satan and his... Uh, fallen buddies there, you know, the whole host. Literally, every trick that's up their sleeve, throwing it at humanity, trying to um, hinder us from hearing the good news. And, uh, you know, just as a, a simpleton, the guy next door who asks weird questions, that's what my mind does with that information. And I think the enemy is manipulating so much that uh, most of us have yet to get our head around and to equip ourselves in the armor of God to be able to battle against this stuff because there's simple scenarios just like the placebo effect that shows, hey, we are wonderfully and fearfully created. And uh, 
I think we're we're being terribly manipulated by by the darkness in many ways. But what are your thoughts on the penal gland and the placebo effect? If just just kind of shoot some thoughts at me on those two topics, quick. Well, the pineal gland uh, produces that uh, that uh, DMT, and I, I don't can't won't try to pronounce the long name of the molecule, even if I could remember it, but in very small amounts. It is something that uh, consumed in large amounts through ayahuasca, uh, produced by mushrooms. Um, you will see things, and there are, there is a small industry that's grown up for. Uh, tourists to go to South America with a shaman and uh, drink this tea and be guided in these spirit uh, uh, adventures, these spirit journeys. I interviewed Dr. Rick Strassman, who wrote the book, the DMT or uh, DMT, the spirit molecule some years ago. And uh, he wrote a follow-up book in which he, he theorized that it was through DMT that the Hebrew prophets received their revelations. Mm. Now, maybe this is the physical process by which God opens the human mind to the spirit realm. Because what uh, Dr. Strassman found, and there are some other um, academic papers that I've downloaded, just haven't read yet, uh, that have been done within the last couple of years with volunteers who take DMT and then report what they see. And a large percentage of them in some of these trials, the majority of the participants, the volunteers, saw entities in the spirit realm. And in Dr. Strassman's experiment, if I remember correctly, there were at least one occasion, possibly a couple, where multiple witnesses saw the same entity at the same place. Yeah. Now, now, mass hallucination is not a thing. So they were seeing into the spirit realm and reportedly seeing the same entities, mm. uh, which suggests that, uh, and this is why he wrote his follow-up book, which I, I've forgotten the title of it, but... Um, he he suggested that this was um, not a hallucination. These were not hallucinations. They were actually seeing entities in the spirit realm. And this is something we needed to research further to try to make contact with these entities. Forgetting, of course, uh, Dr. Strassman was, was raised as a Jew. He's now um, agnostic, or at least as of the last time I talked to him. I don't know what his uh, beliefs are now. But if he's arguing that we need to conduct experiments to figure out how we can do what the Hebrew prophets did, he is really on the wrong track because God made it very clear that we were not to contact the spirit realm. We were not to consult with mediums or necromancers. In fact, he specifically equated that kind of contact with uh, w- with the, the cult of the dead, with sacrificing children, the cult of Molech, who is just yeah. another name worn by Saturn, Kronos, Baalamon, Enlil, El, Dagon, etc. Molech. Um, God summoned the prophets of old. This was not something that you could, you, you, you don't take ayahuasca and charge into the throne room of God and say, hey, Yahweh, what's going on, buddy? That's not how it works. Many of the people who were taken into this other realm or began to perceive entities in this other realm found that these entities were at best ambivalent toward their presence and others were openly hostile. They didn't like the fact that they were there. Josh Peck, if you talk with him about his experience when he was a new ager of astral projecting, found that these entities did not like the fact that a human was suddenly roaming around in their domain, their dimension. So Dr. Strassman, and again, it's been some years since I've spoken to him. He may have changed his mind on all of this. I don't know. But at the time, this is, you know, five, six, seven years ago, the last time I spoke with him, um, was was arguing that we needed to try to open 
these portals by experimenting more with DMT. And there are other researchers now who are conducting that kind of research. Again, the gates of hell are the ones that we open inside of us when we open ourselves to the spirit realm by mindfulness, uh, you know, uh, this, this sort of meditation where you, you chant a mantra and uh, open your mind, just to clear your mind and open yourself uh, to, to the influence of outside entities. Um, I, I, th- I think there's, there's a real danger there that is not acknowledged by people who are, who are believing that DMT is the key to our ascension to another level of consciousness. Uh, there's a reason God created the pineal gland, but only has it produce minuscule amounts of DMT. And again, maybe that was the uh, physical trigger that he used supernaturally to open the perception of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and etc. to the spirit realm. But it's not something that we were supposed to do on our own. And God made that very clear. Now, as far as the uh, the placebo effect, boy, that's that's a big topic. Uh, we, we were talking spiritually, medically. Um, yeah, I, I honestly, I, I don't know. I've not given it much thought, to be quite honest. What comes to mind for me is there's those who enter the door illegally. I'm um, sorry, not through the door, but they climb in, uh, another way in. And Christ says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that through him we come to the Father. So I, I found that to be interesting. You know, the scriptures reminding us that God is spirit. Um, you know, he's, he's omnipotent, omnipresent, right? I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's not bound and unable to come in and manifest anything he wants into the physical realm. He shows up as a burning bush. While speaking with Moses. And so I don't want to put myself in a box where I limit God, what God can or can't do. But I, you know, as I study through the scriptures and then I peer into what the world is tossing up, what the new topic is to throw down a bunch of people's throats today, you know, just that soft, gentle voice was reminding me illegal access. My stance isn't to argue if it's accessible. Well, the Bible doesn't say you can't talk to the dead. It says don't speak with the dead. Right, so right. I, I don't think we'd argue that if it's possible or not to those who have an ear to hear, hear me here, guys, but that there's a way of doing it. And I think through prayer and fasting, God has shown us that is the way to access. Now, whether the, the pineal gland fills up with melatonin and gets converted over to DMT and it triggers, it's the beginning process to trigger that. I, I don't know. We are wonderfully and fearfully created. Um, but it, that's where my brain went is there's a plethora of different people illegally accessing yeah. and feeding into the confusion. When it comes to the placebo, I um, I don't have a terrible amount of thoughts on it either. It's, it's just I find it interesting that there there's two forms from what I read. I don't remember exactly what the second one was. And then they have a bad idea of this medication in their mind, but it's a sugar pill and they take it and they can actually do an, have an onset of symptoms based upon their their pre-conceived thoughts about what that medication does. And I found that just to be really interesting. It, yes. yeah, there's so much we just don't know. But, and um, it is true. It, I mean, it's statistically shown that uh, people who, who pray in, in a hospital setting oh, yeah. have better outcomes on average than people who, uh, who don't. And uh, that's, that's just statistics. That, those are numbers. And, yeah. uh, you know, that, that's not subjective uh, accounts of people who, well, I feel a little better than I did before. No, no. <laughs> these are people who 
report praying and uh, just yeah. statistically their their time in hospital shorter, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, th- th- there are better outcomes for people who believe that God is is working in their lives. Um, and, and who knows? Maybe it's uh, maybe it's a physiological response to uh, the hope that we have in Christ. If you're in a better mood, your body responds better to treatment. Who knows? But well, yeah. uh, the the fact is that there there is a correlation there, and uh, high mm-hmm. d- probable pro- high probability that correlation in that case does equal causation. Well said. Um, when you brought up the ayahuasca, a lot of people down in South America and they do these rituals. You guys are playing on a court that uh, you don't have the permission to play on. And I'm just like, this is, the, you know, the people that are doing these things and illegally accessing, yeah, you're going to see some really strange stuff happens. There's going to be some parallels. So for the listeners out there, when you talk with someone like me, I'll, I wouldn't denounce that your experience is real. I'm willing to go down the rabbit trail to the extent that I can direct it back towards the Christ. Anyway, it leads me on to my next question. Do you think that the forces of darkness, the fallen ones, have physical technology that can be perceived by us. There's a lot of uh, information that goes out and around, obviously with craft in the sky, maybe not always being a a government, but being um, from the camp of darkness. Do you think that they have any access or technology that can uh, appear in our realm? This isn't something I've I've researched heavily, but I I would not... uh discount the possibility i'm it, it certainly if it achieves their goal of deceiving us into uh accepting them as something that disproves the existence of of god and and his christ if they can convince us that uh, these entities are actually our space brothers from zeta reticuli <laughs> and uh I mean, you know really the whole ancient alien movement the, the belief is rooted in theosophy it is is really repackaged theosophy and josh peck and i showed that in our 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 book back in 2017 the day the earth stands still yes there is a direct linear correlation from the teachings of blavatsky and crowley filtered through the horror fiction of hp lovecraft which was then repackaged in the late 1960s by eric von daniken Mm. i mean we we document this step by step by step using the research of a couple of secular researchers who probably are would not be happy if they found out that we quoted them all over the book you know cited their their research but the research it makes sense it actually yeah. shows the connection step by step by step the um fallen realm would not be beyond using this kind of deception to uh convince the world that god doesn't exist that they, in fact, are our creators, that the ancient aliens of Mesopotamia or the ancient gods of Mesopotamia were, in fact, uh, space travelers from the planet Nibiru, which, by the way, is just a different transliteration of the Sumerian name for the city Nippur. Nibiru <laughs> is Nippur. Enlil was not the king of this planet Nibiru. He was the chief god of Mesopotamia, and Nippur was where his city was located, or Nibru. Um Either, as Mike Heiser has shown, either Zechariah Sitchin couldn't read or write Sumerian, or he could, and he was just lying about the uh, translations. Um, Sadly, he has deceived a whole generation of ancient aliens followers, and his his work is sort of taken as received wisdom. Him and uh, Von Daniken, who, again, just repackaged the uh, horror fiction of H.P. Lovecraft into, well, what is passed for alternative archaeology— 
the uh, the uh, chariots of the gods is his book is uh called the uh, the best-selling book of archaeology and history which uh <laughs> really drives actual archaeologists absolutely mad with uh because <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not i mean von daniken claimed in an interview back in like 1972 that a lot of his information was received from the spirit realm oh jeez. <laughs> okay um yeah there, there's not a logic uh, not a lot of logic there uh but it's more comforting for many people to believe that or to believe that the ancient Sumerians just couldn't recognize space travelers for what they were than to believe that there is actually a God who spoke everything into existence, has decreed a, a set of moral standards that are pretty clearly outlined in the Bible and that uh, a choice has been put before us. He created us all with free will. And uh, that choice is, do you accept me or do you not? He's not created us to be mindless automatons. And uh, he created the spirit realm the same way. And just like us, many of them have chosen to reject God's authority and do their own thing. I'm just sitting here. For me, I'm just having a moment. You know, I remember the first time that I talked with you, Derek, and um, really feeling like um, on the path I'm supposed to be on. and, And as I get watered, you know, and other seeds get planted, I just can't help but, uh, you know, show the humbleness and, and the thankfulness. The scriptures keeps popping into my head right now, so I'm just going to say it because usually that's a sign for, <laughs> for say this now. But um, don't grow weary in doing good, you know, in, in due season we're going to reap. And I know a lot of people have taken some some very hard judgments from the world because of speaking on on behalf of the truth, I don't think the persecution started here in America, as we we know it happens other places in the world. But I, I do believe that there's a season coming where we're going to need to see the, that gift of encouragement rise up and mm-hmm. um, and the humility just to you know lean lean together on the topic that uh, is most important to me, which is going to be the hope and the resurrection of Christ and all these other things that. That they are so important to cover these these topics and learn, you know, the history of the Bible and just uh, to educate, you know, e- each other and just dive into these topics is it's just wildly amazing. I'm just kind of having a moment right now. It's, I wouldn't say it's deja vu or nothing, but I'm just, <laughs> just just talking with you again and running through it. And I, last time I, I kind of felt like I had this, Derek. We, we were talking about the bulls of Bashan, mm-hmm. and uh, I brought up in uh, I think it's in the Psalms where Christ says. Many bulls of Bashan have encompassed me, right? And and you're breaking down about Bashan. You know the the listeners who listen to that episode, they're they're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But you know Psalm 68:22, the Lord says, "I will bring my enemies down from Bashan, and I will bring them up from the depths of the sea." The enemy, you know, in the spirit world, they they have the high mountain that the the mustard seed of faith is is called to throw down, and and then they have uh, what is a mystery in the secrets of the depths of the ocean of, of darkness. Just as I believe um, the abyss is deep, I believe that the enemy uh, continues to add to the inventory of confusion. Yeah. A couple last questions here for you. What, sure. what do you think is the most important message for the millennial generation right now? That the, uh, the supernatural struggle in the Bible is real. I mean, there's, again, coming back to Jesus and his choice of location for uh, being baptized by John, the the place where he chose to uh, declare his divinity at the base of Mount Hermon, 
Um, why he did what he did. Uh, going back into the Old Testament, why did God choose to have the Israelites turn around as they're escaping from Egypt and camp at a place facing a site called Baal Zephon? Baal's a Canaanite god. Why is he in Egypt? We, we need to ask those questions. Why? What, why was it called Baal Zephon? Oh, that's the name of his sacred mountain. Yeah, that's like 600 miles away. So why did, why did he put the Israelites there before then parting the Red Sea and having them miraculously cross? Oh, it's because Baal became the chief god of the pantheon by defeating the sea god in combat. And Yahweh was demonstrating, oh, okay, this was a message in the spirit realm. The, the Bible is only boring because most of us have been taught that most of the characters in it, divine and human, are imaginary. They've been made up. This is a, an imaginary backstory created by the Israelites sometime after the uh, Persian uh, conquest of, uh, of the Levant, sometime after the Babylonian captivity, to create a backstory for Israel, a creation myth. Not so. Archaeology is disproving that every single day. New archaeological discoveries showing that the, the Hebrews were not only in Canaan, Long before the uh, scholars want to believe that they were, they had the they had the ability to write. They had their own written language. Yeah, you know, as early as the 14th century BC, which is like within a century of the uh, the the conquest of Canaan, within a century of the Exodus. These things are real. These things happen in certain places because there there was a specific message or a specific incident attached to them, and God had a specific message for the entities connected with that region. Why did uh, God take him to the wilderness of Sin and the uh, and Mount Sinai? Oh, well, it was the wilderness of Sin. Sin was the name of the moon god. It was like the most important god in the Amorite pantheon. Oh, my God. Mount wow. Sinai, the mountain of the moon god. Why did the Israelites start complaining when they entered the wilderness of Sin on the 15th day of the second month? Oh, in a lunar calendar, that's the night when the moon was full and the moon was at its full power and her taking us into the territory of the moon god and we're all going to die. <laughs> Stuff like this is all through the Bible. And when we begin to look at it through the lens of the divine council and understand that these small g gods who are under judgment, Psalm 82 is like a courtroom scene in heaven where God says, though you are gods, sons of the most high, you like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. The deaths of the gods has been decreed. We're in the middle of like a Lord of the Rings on steroids epic. But most of us have been taught that, oh, these idols they worshipped were just carved bits of wood and stone. They were imaginary. Really? The civilization that created the ziggurats of ancient Sumer, the, the, the pyramids of Egypt, the, the massive architectural wonders of Greece and Rome, they were literally sacrificing other humans to those gods because they were imaginary, not because they got something out of it. That's pretty condescending. And yet, the same people who will say those things are willing to engage in mindfulness or consult with mediums to try to contact the spirits of their deceased loved ones and so forth. I think innately, humans know that there is a spirit realm. Yeah, and we have the guidebook to the supernatural, to borrow a phrase from L.A. Marzulli. It's called the Bible. We just need to read it the way the first century church read it. Zeus is real. Apollo is real. But they're fallen angels. Their days are numbered. Be on the right side of history. Wow. 
Well, uh, yeah. the, there was a time where I literally was wrestling with, am I going crazy or is all of this real? <laughs> you know, I had to ask myself that question. And I know that there's many, many people out there that may be straddling that very line. And I think just through what Derek has demonstrated tonight, let alone the last three seasons and all of the information we've covered thus far, that supports all of this is real. The camp of darkness, you know, they meander through with many different masks and strategies, but there's a camp of light. It's He's the creator of the camp. See, you see, he created all of it. As L.A. Marzulli would say, uh, uh, the cosmic chess match, right? Mm. And that that's the one we're we're looking for to uh you know, we look to for our hope. He's he's the strong tower we run to in the day of help and trouble. And that that's what the millennial every generation needs to hear that. But uh I feel like the millennial generation is right on the cusp of like they're they're finally growing up and buying houses and like, you know, becoming taking on important roles in society, some of them. Mm. <laughs> and um that's my generation. You know, Derek, my generation was we didn't have supercomputers in our pockets uh, in the early teen years or the prepubescent years. We didn't have super supercomputers like generations do today. We were right on that line of like, you know, we still went and played down by the river and ran around the neighborhood and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, by the time I'm 18, we have, you know, pretty much supercomputers mm -hmm. um, access to. So it's, it's a very peculiar generation, in my opinion, just just uh, just because I feel like we're we're a little bit of that old school um, a little bit of that has been transferred to us, which would be calluses on the hands, working hard and by the sweat of our brow, understanding you have to earn things. And then, you know, a little bit of this new, um, you know, te technology driven, uh, you know, kind of lazy and entitled generation. <laughs> and, and it's just kind of, uh, I'm trying to sway people more, <laughs> more back to that. Hey, it's good to work with your hands. You know, it's good mm -hmm. to plant and water the seeds. And, and uh, for those of us who are doing it for the true kingdom of God, don't grow weary, you guys, and, and this good doing. And it was okay. So I, I got, yeah, I had a couple good questions here, but I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask this one. If you could travel back in time and witness one Bible story play out right before your eyes, what one would you choose? You can only choose one. <laughs> mm. uh, crucifixion. Yeah. Mm. I mean, th that's really what it's all about. Either that or the resurrection, uh, seeing the resurrected Christ. I mean, Paul wrote in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that, uh, that that chapter is all about the importance of the resurrection. And really, that's what it's all about. All of us will be resurrected someday. And that was the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which mm. is a... Uh, in a nutshell, Christian theology, apologetics, and the hope that we have in what is to come. So I, I yeah, I, I would say I would love to have been among the uh, the men of Galilee, the uh, the disciples who saw the risen Christ. As Paul wrote that he appeared first to Peter, then to James, then to the rest of the twelve, then to hundreds of brothers at once, some of whom have fallen asleep, but most are still awake. But Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, like 20 years after the resurrection or more, was... Uh, Hey, there are a lot of witnesses to this miracle. And if you don't believe me, send somebody to Jerusalem and ask around because there are eyewitnesses to this. And it's important that you believe and accept this because the gospel by which we are saved is very simply 
believing that Jesus, in accordance with the scriptures, died for our sins, and that in accordance with the scriptures, rose again on the third day. That is it. That is the gospel by which we are saved. Just accepting that historic fact and acknowledging, based on that fact, that Christ Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and then subjecting your life to him. Because Paul wrote, if he didn't literally raise himself from the dead, then we're still all in our sins, and we are of all men most miserable. And he goes on from there to talk about the importance of the resurrection. So yeah, I would say that would be the one. Um, Just put me in the back of the crowd, seeing this man who had been dead for three days come back to life. The climax of the good news, man. (laughs) That's a great... Resurrection Sunday should be the biggest holiday on the Christian calendar. Not Christmas, not Halloween, certainly. I agree. It should be Resurrection Sunday. Yeah, dude, I agree. Hands down. I I don't... uh, I have trouble with a lot of the holidays that are celebrated publicly. But if you could write a short letter, a paragraph or two, to the younger you at the time where you first opened the Bible, started studying it, and Hmm. and being captivated by it, what would you say? Short letter, paragraph or two. Um, Well, seeing as how I didn't really start down this path until I was 35, if I could go back and write a letter to me at the age of 10, Hmm. uh, it would be, okay— 50 years on, here's a few things that I've learned that you need to know sooner rather than later. The stories are real. Job 41, this description of that entity in there, it's not a crocodile, it's a dragon. Dragons are real. Giants are real. These small g gods whose deaths have been decreed by the creator are real. So, Start studying this now. Don't wait another 25 years, which is kind of what I did. Get this now and start uh, sharing this hope with your your friends. Because, in effect, I wasted 25 years and more by not really taking it seriously. I mean, I accepted Christ as a a sixth grader, but uh, was not really discipled or mentored. And, you know, I don't blame my parents or anybody for that. Again, most American Christians have just been raised that Jesus is sort of a cosmic life coach. You know, follow his example and you'll be happy. But it's, it's much more than that. It's a spiritual war. It's a supernatural war. It is a war of cosmic scope and eternal consequences. And if we started communicating that, you know, hey, look, Lord of the Rings, that's great. It's awesome. But here's one that's real. It's got all of the same elements. It's got dragons, it's got wizards, it's got gods, it's got epic warriors, battles, just, you know, epic sacrifice, self-sacrifice for others. It's got failures, it's got triumphs, and it's got a wonderful ending. And guess what? You're in this story. You may not realize it, but you're in this story. And when this movie is finally screened on the big screen in heaven, don't you want to see yourself in that one scene as one of the extras? Wow. If we communicated that to our kids and our grandkids, man, did you want to talk about a a revival? This, This would be it. That would be it. We've got this story that is so incredibly amazing and fascinating. 
And we do such a lousy job because we've so desupernaturalized it and dumbed it down. And, and I don't mean to sound angry. I'm, I'm, and maybe that's you know my own disappointment for taking so long to catch on to all of this. Because it is a story of a creator who loves us so much that he was willing to walk among us to set aside his divinity. Something that none of these Mesopotamian or Greek or Roman gods would ever do. And suffer for us, knowing that we were going to rebel. Like a parent. A parent who sacrifices himself to save a child. That's exactly what God has done for us. And if we, if we understood that, that, that power of that story, and then realized that for all of our failures, he's still willing to say, hey, I've still got a role for you to play in the army. Wow. You know, it's, um, it is epic. And, and we, have, we have so shrunk the story down. I mean, by, by, by portraying Jesus and the gospel message, as nothing more than a way to live your best life now. And I don't mean that as a direct slap at any popular TV preacher. But if, if well, it's like Paul wrote, if our hope is in this life only, then we of all men are most miserable. Yeah. Our hope is not in this life only. It is in eternity. And God is saying, here, I've got a role for you in this army. And oh yeah, we've got these angels and some of these dragons that are on my side. And you'll be fighting alongside them in the, you know, like, oh, wow. And uh, <laughs> against an army, literally, of the evil dead. I mean, uh, yeah, th- th- there is no bigger story than this. And this is why Sharon writes fiction, because as a fiction author, I've dabbled in it. But as a fiction author, you can't have a bigger palette than that to work with. <laughs> Man, I just took uh, an emotional roller coaster with you as you, you shared that. I really felt like I connected with what you were saying. And well, um, praise God, give him credit, dude. It is an honor to be able to speak with you again, man. Um, it, well, brother, amazing. it's it, I mean, the honor me is mine. Thank you. And information yeah. and. And then you give you give us your heart at the end, and you just share your heart with us, and we just got everything. We got this. This is a great episode, man. I'm uh, uh, very emotional as you shared that. When you think about it, we we are the prodigal son. We are, and uh, he is willing to welcome us back, even though we're covered with. And you notice that the uh, prodigal son was serving the uh, the the swine herd, the keeper yeah. of the unclean animals. <laughs> yeah. in in the story that would be satan yeah. okay <laughs> and the yeah. el- the elder brother who gets kind of miffed that uh, the father puts on a, a banquet for us coming back stinking of pig stuff those are the angels who've been loyal yeah and they're wondering why are you going out of your way for these who've rebelled against your authority denied your very existence even though you spoke them into creation mm. And God is like, look, you've got your inheritance, but they were lost and now they're found. And, you know, you think about it in those terms. That's who we are. And he's willing to welcome us back and put the signet ring on our hands and welcome us back into the family. We are destined to rejoin the divine council. Adam and Eve lost that right in Eden. 
God is willing to let us back in. If we just accept, according to Paul, the gospel by which you are being saved. The historic fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hmm. (laughs) Praise God. I know it's been edifying for me. Uh, Share it with a friend, a family member, a co-worker. Share this with your pastor. (laughs) Share this with your pastor. Go into church and say, hey, pastor, I got something for you. A little bit different. (laughs) 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 Thank you for listening. God bless America. Goodbye. Oh, oh, oh.